0: Experience the age-old Irish hospitality at Legroff's Pub and Grill, a Swiggo's premier local spot, to grab a cold one and cheer on your favorite sports teams. Stop in for an ice-cold beer alongside some exceptional pub fare. Burgers, wings, chicken sandwiches, Philly cheesesteaks, soups, and more. You want it, they've got it, served up with more than 40 years of awesome customer service. Have a friendly game of darts against players from across the world. That's right, players from across the world. Where else in Oswego can you go to play darts against somebody from across the world? That's crazy. Watch the games on their eight big screen TVs or just relax at Oswego's Neighborhood Bar and Grill, Legroffs Pub, 187 East 10th Street in Oswego. Check them
1: out on Legroffs.com. Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker.
0: Hello and welcome to a very special Inside Groove Supermodified podcast. This is episode 126. I'm Tom Baker, the host of the show, and I couldn't be more excited than to be doing this very show on this very week. It is Classic Week 2023. The 67th annual Budweiser International Classic 200 weekend is coming up in just a few days, and I thought it would be fun if we went backwards in time just a bit, oh, say, 50 years or so, and talked about the 1973 edition of the International Classic. Now, let's start with the current day. Some huge news broke on this very day today. The Little Deuce, one of the most iconic supermodifieds ever built has now been restored and will be at the classic this year that car nearly won the 1973 international classic making this edition of inside groove even more timely than it was before the news broke today So let's get to it. First of all, I thought that it would be kind of fun to see what was going on in 1973 in the U.S. So here are a few fun facts. From the year 1973, the dollar went further in 73 than it does today. You can buy a gallon of gas for 40 cents. A first-class stamp cost eight cents a gallon of milk was a buck 40. eggs were 69 cents a dozen and this made me sad and then thankful a package of Oreos was 59 cents in 1973 I was sad to see that and then i was thankful that it's still not that cheap because I'd probably be a blimp Top three television shows in 1973, All in the Family, The Waltons, and Samford and & Son. Number four and number five, MASH in Hawaii Five-O. CBS aired four out of the top five. Now check this out. Food and beverage favorites of 1973 included Carrot Cake, which by the way was invented in England in 1940s. In the 1940s. Did you know that? Jello salad. <laughs> People put fruits and veggies inside jello and called it a salad. Can you believe that? Quiche. I still to this day don't know what quiche is. I probably wouldn't like it. Deviled eggs. Cheese balls. I didn't know cheese balls were that old. Spam. Can you believe this? Spam was a favorite. Food in 1973, Tab, ew, that was awful. Anyone ever drink Tab? It was, I, I think it was maybe Coca-Cola that had that for a while. It was, I think some, it was supposed to be Dr. Pepper or something. Oh my God, that stuff was like cough medicine. And Hamburger Helper. <laughs> this is crazy stuff. What else was going on in 73? Secretariat. Won the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness Stakes, and the Belmont Stakes to garner the illustrious triple crown of horse racing. But here's a little known fact. Do you know what Secretariat's nickname was? I I mean, I didn't know horses had nicknames. Isn't the name enough? Secretariat's nickname was Big Red. Kind of like the gum. Nowadays, that would have been um, some sort of sponsorship would have had a nice big red logo on the side of the horse. Kids played with <laughs> shrinky dinks. What in the world was a shrinky dink? I don't remember shrinky dinks. I I'm no. I'm moving on. Sorry. The Evel Knievel stunt cycle. Now I had one of those, and I think I I think it the gear editor would ever strip the first day that I got it. I think I'm pretty sure that that was. A, a Christmas present from my sister and brother-in-law. And I think they were still, they hadn't even left the house yet. In the gear stripped on the thing. I think we had to get another one. Uh, walkie-talkie sets. Hoppity-hops. What in the world was a hoppity-hop? I, I don't have any idea what that was. Music. Bad, bad Leroy Brown. How about some Jim Croce? I love me some Jim Croce. Still do. Died way too young. Tony Orlando and Dawn tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree and Elton John's Crocodile Rock. And here's the most shocking fact of all from 1973. Did you know that the cell phone had its start in 1973 when Motorola engineer Martin Cooper invented a handheld cordless phone? You could hold it in your hand, but it weighed two and a half pounds. Unbelievable. Okay, enough about that. Let's talk some classic here, shall we? What was going on in 1973? Well, plenty. If you think about where we were, we were really in the midst still of the transition from the upright style supers or cutdowns of the 1960s to the roadster style super that you started to see in the later sixties with, for example, Todd Gibson's Flintstone Flyer, which was an ex Indy car, right? And we we had developed this sort of cacophony or buffet of different styles. It was still a Rum it run class. If you listen to our last episode, 125, I read a letter that um, Speedway Management wrote in a program in 1973 that really stressed that at that point, they were defining the super modified as a run once you run car. You basically, um, had a set of specifications and as long as it met the specs, it could be virtually anything. So it was, it was a, it was a beautiful time to be a super modified fan. Now that year, um, there were a number of different winners and there was a lot going on. It was my first year of going to the track. I started going, I think Mike Silliman and I figured out that it was sometime in May, Jimmy Champagne won, and Ronnie Wallace, who was driving Nolan Swift's 10 pins finished in second. I think, I don't remember the exact date, but I think we figured out it was sometime in May of 73. That was, would have been my first night. And so I, you know, I, I don't know that I went every week, um, but I think I went most weeks. And there was a lot, again, there was a lot of stuff happening through the season that year. Nolan Swift started the year as a car owner and finished the year as a driver. He unretired and Ronnie went on to jump into the previous Swift car, which was now the Flying Five of At Bali and Ronnie finished the season in the Flying Five car. Swifty came back, ended up winning a race. 73 was a very interesting season. We get to the classic and this was one of those weekends. And it seemed like it happened almost every year one of the big names either crashes or has a major mechanical that causes a lot of drama. And in 1973, that was Kenny Andrews. Earlier in the season, Kenny had been suspended for rough riding, basically. Um, And I believe that that was over an incident that he had with Jimmy Champagne, but it was probably more of a... um, you know, it's more of a final act of punishment for a number of, of on-track incidents. Kenny was just a very aggressive driver. And so he ended up getting suspended. Now the irony is he and Jimmy were best friends. They were great friends. Kenny was a Canadian. Kenny had just, he was one of the top drivers of Oswego. His car that he built had more bars hanging off the thing than, and there was always, (laughs) you know, wrenches hanging off, (laughs) clamps, pliers, whatever. Just, it was crazy. But man, that car flew. And Kenny was, Kenny was a lot of fun to watch. So I'm going to read from the 1974 classic book. I'm going to read, some of the article that talks about the classic race itself and we'll we'll stop at various points and have some conversation and discussion about things headline is kenny andrews in a very deserving 1973 classic victory by the way thank you to super fan larry trinka for um for sending me these photos that i'm using of of this article Last year's International Classic Weekend had all the excitement any race fan could ever ask for, and it turned out to be one of the finest classic races in the history of this great extravaganza. The cars took to the long warm-up period on Friday evening, and a few hundred fans were in attendance to see the boys prepare their cars for the rest of the weekend activities. Saturday came, with now thousands of people jamming the grandstands to witness the warm-ups and time trials. As well, the pits were filling up and a huge field was shaping up for the racing event of the day. The boys were out warming up and everything was going well until a mix-up occurred in turn two and after all the dust has cleared, Kenny Andrews was sitting up against the outside wall. Andrews was one of the big favorites to capture the Classic and now his car sat heavily damaged in turn two and quite possibly out of the running. Andrews was uninjured in the scuffle. Warm-ups continued and it was runoff without much problems. Then came the exciting time, time trials. Once again, Jimmy Champagne turned the trick in trials as he turned in a clocking of 18.592. Good enough for the pole position start in the 200 lapper. And Filling out what turned out to be a very handsome front row was Jimmy Winks with the immortal little deuce who had the second fastest time of the day with a time of 18.602 around the 5 mile oval. The third fastest time of the day went to the 72 of Doug Sire, and he was the fastest Canadian qualifier. Champagne, by the way, was awarded 200 for his efforts as the fastest time trialer. A total of 30 cars and drivers were qualified for the big 200 lap. The track then closed for the day as everyone went their way, socializing on this special weekend. The Speedway grounds were just one campground after another with a warm atmosphere existing as racing people partied well into the night. Many fans flocked to local establishments and private homes for classic dinners and parties. It was a fun-filled evening for most. However, sitting in a garage some six miles north of Oswego was the 55 Roadster, and it was receiving a lot of attention. No, it wasn't the party-type mood. It was serious, as there wasn't that much time remaining for Andrews to get the car back together. They found the damage to be heavy. But thanks to the efforts of several local people, they came up with the right parts for Ken to get it all back together. It wasn't until very late that evening that the 55 was practically all back together and ready to go. Would his last-minute effort in repairing the car work? Before this incident, Andrews had about the best chance of winning. But what now? Only time would tell. Now let's stop there and just talk about a couple of things. First of all, it was interesting to read 50 years ago. The modified 200 was not run on Saturday night yet on Classic Weekend. So you had warm-ups on Friday, warm-ups on Saturday, time trials, and then that was it. Nothing else happened Saturday night. Now that gave Andrews the opportunity to go and, and, and fix the car. Now remember that it was Andrews who got parked for rough driving and Jimmy champagne was one of the drivers who was instrumental. I believe in getting Andrew, some of the parts on Sunday morning, race fans throughout the central New York area were greeted with a warm, sunny day. It was just beautiful off to the track where again, the competitors were allowed to warm up their machines, making the necessary last minute adjustment to their expensive racers. The heat races for the non-qualifiers were run off in two top runners, Bobby Stelter in the 36, and Kenny Andrews in the 55 shared the wins. 20 cars were entered in the semifinal, and from this race, only 10 cars would qualify and go into the big 200-lapper. Now, everybody's qualified. Kenny Andrews is starting toward the back. He's in the probably, what, 31st, 32nd, something like that. Jimmy Winks starting up at the front. The time had finally come for the International Classic Race itself. This is the moment that we have all been waiting for. The drivers, owners, and mechanics have prepared for this race practically all season long, and here it is, only moments away. A confusing atmosphere gathers over the speedway. <laughs> I guess you could call it that, right? A thrill of excitement shivers through those in the grandstand. The anticipation is just overwhelming. Many sit there quietly. Others stand cheering. They're all here to witness the greatest supermodified race in the world. The drivers are introduced and they climb aboard their machines, each with hopes that after those 200 long, grueling and dangerous laps, they'll be sitting in that $7,000 winner's circle. The cars are pushed off and they take all their qualifying spots there. They are 40 of the most beautiful supermodified cars in the world and 40 equally great, great drivers. The white flag is out and just one more time around. Let's go racing. Champagne jumps to the early lead with Winx in close pursuit on lap 10. It was Winx swinging past Champagne and into the lead. Doug Sire and Baldy Baker moved into the second and third. Champagne was fourth and only steps behind were several talented drivers all looking to improve their positions. The yellow flag is out now and the race is slowed and now the red is being displayed. Ray Sand and the 71 got sideways going into turn three and the cars all went scattering in all directions to avoid trouble. However, the cars of Bill Rouse 24, Lumal 09, Frank Weiss 1, John Theodoro 73, and Don McLaren 26 all became involved with McLaren's 26 doing a barrel roll, but amazingly was not damaged too severely, and he continued after the, the inspection. Theodoro and Weiss received the majority of damage to their machines, but fortunately, no one was injured. Winks again set the pace after the restart, with Sire and now Ed Bellinger challenging. Jimmy continually maintained his advantage over his foes, regardless of the many caution flags that interrupted the race. About midway through the race, Winks looked mighty good, with a commanding lead over Steady Warren Conium, Doug Sire, and Nick Rowe. Nolan Swift lost hopes of winning when a flat tire at the 77th lap sent him to the pits, but he later returned to the oval when encountered oil problems with his 10 pins. Eddie Bellinger fell off the pace with mechanical ills. So did Ron Wallace, who encountered steering problems and hit the wall, forcing him to be towed to the pit area. By lap 130, Andrews had steadily moved into second spot. and was on the move after Winks. With the help of several caution flags, Andrews moved closer and closer to the deuce and finally caught the fast-running Winks with about 25 laps to go. The two battled away in great style, with Andrews pulling abreast many times before slipping past with about 15 laps remaining. Andrews continued his steady pace while Winks began falling off the pace, failing with each lap. Conia moved into second. Rowe took over third as Winks was pushed back down the line. To the finish came a happy, tired, but very deserving, Kenny Andrews in car 55, about 20 car lengths ahead of second-place finisher Warren Conium in the Salve Automotive car 04. Third went to popular Michigan driver Nick Rowe in the Trier Weller car 12. Canadian Johnny Spencer made some brilliant moves during the last 10 laps of the race and placed the gold car 07 in fourth, while the 58 Hagen Howard car Mark Lutcher took the fifth spot. Other classic finishers in order were... Jimmy Champagne in the 8th. Jim Cheney driving the Kemp Dates twenty-eight. 8th place was Jimmy Winks in the Deuce. 9th, the 40 of Norm Macrath. 10th, the 9 of Steve Joya. 11th, the 93 of Baldy Baker. 12th, the 80 of Ronnie Madison. 13th, the 75 Gary Albrighton. 14th, the 72 Doug Sire. 15th, the 90 of Chuck Siprich. 16th, the 26 of Dom McLaren. Seventeenth, the fifty-four of Bill Roynen. Eighteenth, the fifty-two of Paul Richardson. Nineteenth, the thirty-six of Bobby Stelter. Twentieth, the fifty-six Leon Weiske. Twenty-first, the ninety-seven of Ol' Snoopy Tommy Leeson. Twenty-second, the O two of Eddie Bellinger Jr. Twenty-third, the twenty-four of Bill Rouse. Twenty-fourth, the thirty-one of Jim Gray. Twenty-fifth, the thirty-five Johnny Logan. Twenty-sixth, the ninety-six Denny Wheeler. The rest of the field: the zero of Todd Gibson, the sixty-nine of Guy Chartrand, the thirty-three of Paul Strasser, the ten of Nolan Swift, the twenty-nine of Freddie Graves, the thirty-seven of Slammin' Sammy Carista, the O-one of Ali Silva, Dynamite Ali Silva, Flying Five Ronnie Wallace, the seventy-eight of Gary Reichert, the seventy-three of John Theodoro, the O-nine of Lou Mall, the seventy-one of Ray Sand, and the one of frank weiss that was the classic finishing field now let's talk about this a little bit shall we first of all incredible how many canadians at that time were in in this race just a quick look again through the field kenny andrews the winner canada warren conium second canada johnny spencer fourth canada who else we got here let's storm and norman Mackrath, canada um, let's see. Bill Rouse was from Canada. Who else we got? I'm probably missing a couple here real quick. Um, I think that might be it. But there were a number of Canadian competitors that were uh in the classic field. this Doug Sire, Canada. I think I missed him. Just amazing that we had that many Canadians competing, and that really added to the international flavor of the race. We don't see that as much anymore. We'll have a few. This year, in 2023, we got Logan Ray vowels, and we, we we believe we have Dave McKnight and uh, Mark Samet, potentially. Um, and again, I may be missing one. I, I think we got most of them. Um, so we have a few, but certainly not as many as we had back then. And a lot of Canadian fans, too. You look at this, Nolan Swift was still, even though he had retired a couple times, it was short. Each time. He was still a winner. He was still, he had just come off winning the, the classic the year before. His sixth international classic win. Jimmy Champine was already starting to dominate the decade. Jimmy did things in the 70s and accomplished things in the 70s that literally cannot ever be repeated again. And both of them were. Factors are competitive in this classic event. But it was all down to Kenny Andrews in the 55 and Jimmy Winks in the deuce. And I think that there was sort of a clear sense of black hat, white hat here, right? You know, there were a lot of people who may have may have um, believed that Kenny Andrews was a fast racer and, and respected his ability, but they also didn't like him very much. He was not always very well liked because of his aggressiveness. And he was one of the nicest drivers you would ever want to meet. I think he was an insurance salesman or something. He was a gentleman to the hilt until he strapped in the car. And then it was Katie bar the door because he just was so determined to win. And, you know, it was... It, it, it Winks, of course, uh, you know, first of all, uh, the he was driving the Deuce. That car, I mean, I, I could do an entire show and I would screw it all up, which is why I won't, but I could do an entire show about the little Deuce and all the drivers that have driven it. And the sad part for me is, Fifty years later, that car is returning to the track. There are only two drivers that drove that car that are still with us. Bentley Warren and Warren Conium. Bentley won with the car in 1969 in the classic. Warren Conium had a second place finish with it. Uh, I think it might have been 1970, actually, or 71. I think it was 71. Yes, because it was a year that Swifty, according to legend, Swifty made up two laps to win. Warren, I think, would disagree. (laughs) But uh, both of them figured into the classic prominently with with that car. Now, you look elsewhere here in the field and just (laughs) some of the names... um, Again, Norm Macrath was in the prime of his career. Steve Joya was just getting started. So was Eddie Bellinger. Baldy Baker, already a legend from Ohio in a car that was legendary. The Miles 93. Ex-Indy Roadster, now I think back to being an Indy Roadster. Ronnie Madison, former Rookie of the Year. was just He was in the Tobin Detroit car that year. Gary Albritton, again, just starting to... Become competitive in the Supers that year. Doug Sire, steady Canadian. Chuck Siprich, charging Charlie in his first super modified ride. The number 90. Dick Dunnigan's number 90. Dunnigan, sorry. Don McLaren's 26. Now, again, how many times you see a car flip and be able to keep racing? <laughs> Incredible. Big Daddy. 54, Bill Roynan. Paul Richardson in the 52 out of New England. <laughs> Bobby Stelter. And again, that was a terrible classic weekend for Bobby, right? And the Buckner car was his first year with Buckner. And boy, did they, they changed that in 1974 because he darn near won the thing. Cowboy Leon Weiske out of Michigan. Tommy Leeson in the 97. Eddie Bellinger, we mentioned earlier. Bill Rouse out of Canada in the 24. Jimmy Gray transplanted Canadian. I think he was living in the U.S. by then, but he is a Canadian. Um, you know, Johnny Logan from Michigan, Denny Wheeler, who was originally from New England, um, moved to Fulton, New York, Todd Gibson from the Midwest legend, Guy Chartrand, another Canadian. I missed him earlier. Paul Strasser, Midwest, Nolan Swift, obviously, um, the, the original legend at Oswego, Nolan Swift built the place. Jimmy Champagne bought it from him. (laughs) Freddie Graves. Um, just steady competitor sammy carista ali silva another new englander legend ronnie wallace legend gary Riker from western new york in that convertible super slash modified he made up two laps in the modified 200 that year to win it with that same car john theodoro i i don't know where john was from i want to say midwest but i could be wrong Lou Mall, I think, was also a Midwesterner, maybe. Ray Sand in the 71 Western New York and Frank Weiss. Um, if I remember right, I think Frank was from up in the Northwest somewhere, wasn't he? So just drivers coming from all over, U.S. and Canada. Super modifieds were everywhere still at that point in time. And you had. The, the the Florida series that was run every spring during Speed Weeks. They still ran down there during that uh, big event. And I think at that time, was it, was the Trisac series going on yet? That was a 70s thing, wasn't it? Up in uh, Michigan and, and parts like that. It was, that was a pretty big deal for a while. Not sure how long that went on, but in 1973 the super modifieds at Oswego Speedway were basically i would say were beginning to peak they it was full song and you would get 50 to 60 cars coming for the classic and it wasn't too long after that the modified 200 became a big deal too and started drawing 70 plus modifieds just incredible to think about that um that was also the year that baldy baker got was awarded a helmet painted up like a budweiser beer can (laughs) during pre race festivities by uh, a member of his fan club charlotte bachelor now why i think that would be a cool trophy to give out to the fastest qualifier wouldn't you Track manager Dick O'Brien presents Jimmy Champagne with the fastest qualifier trophy. That's in the program. And that trophy is... Nope, I had to pause. Turn around just to make sure because my brain, every once in a while, the brain just goes away on me. Um, that is not the fastest qualifier trophy that I have. It is, I have the 1977 one. Doug Sire presented the fastest Canadian qualifier trophy that year. Um again, incredibles. 1973. Who who would have even I mean, it's it's just fifty years ago, you think about what was going on then. Um 73 time trials. I'll just read you the 30 fastest here. Well, maybe we'll just read them all. Why not? Might as well. Starting first, the aid of Jimmy Champagne. 18592. Starting second, the deuce of Jimmy Winks, 18602. Starting third, the 72 of Doug Sire, 18661. Starting fourth, the 93 of Baldy Baker, 18687. Starting fifth, the 0, 02 of Eddie Bellinger, 18702. Starting sixth was the 10 of Nolan Swift, 18753. Starting seventh was the 12 of Nick Rowe. 18,769, starting eighth of 58, Mark Letcher, 18,775, starting ninth, the 04 of Warren Conium, 18,782, and rounding out the top 10 starters, the 40 of Storm and Norman Mackrath, 18,796. The rest of the original qualifiers who, were, who made it out of time trials, the one of Frank Weiss, 18797. 7. The five of Ronnie Wallace, 18815. 96. Denny Wheeler, 19033. 3. So again, you see about a half a second from first to about 13th spot. Gary Albritton in the 75, 19045. The zero of Todd Gibson, 19047. Can you believe that? You would have expected Todd to be a lot faster, wouldn't you? The 0, 07 of Johnny Spencer, 19051. 28, Jim Cheney, 19055. 35, John Logan, 19078. The 90 of Chuck Siprich, 19186. The 69 of Guy Chartran 19235. 56, the Cowboy, Leon Weiske, 19269. 54, Bill Roynan 19303. 33, Paul Strasser, 19322. 97, Tommy Lisa, 19332. 31, Jimmy Gray, 19439. 37, Sam Carista, 19451. The 73 of John Theodoro, 19475. The 9 of Steve Joya, 19484. The 09 of Lou Mall, 19550. 5, and the 81 of Bill Heaney, 19560. Now, if you look at that last, the last couple qualifiers there. I believe if I re, if my memory serves me correctly I believe that when I started going in 1973 to the track you used to have to turn time in the warmups in order to be handicapped for your heat race um and I believe that the lap time that you had to hit the minimum time was 19.5 at that time and so there you have the last few qualifiers, last two qualifiers, Lou Mall and Bill Heaney, both with 19.5s. So the top 30, technically, turn time. Here are the drivers who didn't make it out of time trials. And this will give you an idea of how many cars there were there that, 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 that particular year, 50 years ago. 59, Neil Tooley. Neil Terrible Tooley in the Indian Bob, June 59, 19581. Paul Richardson, 19595. Nine, five. Blake Carnahan, remember that name? Those of you who have been around a while in the C 15, Blake Carnahan. I think he only ran about a year, did year or two? Um, also had a modified, was an orange double zero. I think it was a Corvair body, too. 19619. Nine. 32 of Ronnie McLeod in the Jim Sewell car. Nineteen six two seven, seventy one 71 Ray Sand nineteen six four two, thirty four 34 Mike Rizzo 19704 oh, The 80 Ronnie Madison 19713 The 16 of Eddie Bell the Sweet 16 19793 The Shamrock 13 of Jim Muldoon nineteen eight one one, twenty six 26 Don McLaren 19830 oh. 21 Red Barnhart 19832 the 44 of Daryl Peckham, 19931. 78, Gary Reichert, 20.090. Really? Wow. The 08 of Freddie Pete, that car was the Jimmy Champagne car that he won his first feature in in the I think it was 1967. That was his um his mid to late sixties car previous to the wedge, which became the roadster that won um, I think like 55 or so races out of his 87 total uh that was the 08 sharkey brothers owned it fred pete was the driver 24 bill rouse 20.310 the four of tommy rose 20.403 the 11 of cecil stevens another canadian 20.522 the 82 of jack hopkins 20.553 the 03 of steve newman was steve a canadian too I don't know. I can't remember. 20.617. 47 of Rex Kinney. 20.644. 25, Russell Gray. Another Canadian. 21.450. 77, Dom Muccio. 21.612. 51 of Skip Manning. 22.494. I wonder what car that was. Maybe somebody can shed some light on what that car 51 was that Skip Manning tried to qualify. And then Freddie Graves in the 29 had no time. Now, I would love to know what car that was because it had to be a Dick Rayner car. I don't know if it was the one that um, was the older car that he had that Mark Letcher had driven and Lou Palker, I think, drove it some, or if that 29 of Fred Graves was the if they had already started racing the car that became the Ronnie Wallace 76, two years later in 1974, Mark Letcher drove that as 29. It was a yellow car. And then it, they painted it up for whatever reason in 1975, they went with a gold color and and the beautiful spirit of 76 colors a year ahead of the spirit of 76. And uh, Ronnie won a track championship with it. So there's your, there's your classic field right there. I mean, you, the 30, and then you had, um, obviously you, 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 ended up running everybody else through the, uh, heats and semifinal. And now all those guys made it. I'm just going to try to do a quick count here. 54 cars in 1973, 50 years ago, took time for the international classic. Now, Here's something else that Larry Trink has sent me. In that same classic book, Ivor the Driver's Visit to the Classic, this is from 74, 50 years from now. Now, again, we're projecting 50 years. Ivor, which George Caruso Jr., shh, don't tell him. Um, (laughs) Ivor the Driver's Visit to the Classic 50 years from now. That would have been 2024. So this would be next year. Okay. it was Sunday, September 1st, 2024, and the fans and competitors were arriving for the 68th annual International Classic. Again, this is straight out of the 1974 classic book. I couldn't believe it. I was viewing the classic activities 50 years from now, and this is a dream, by the way, that that I was having. Check this out. (laughs) Things had changed a little. It cost $100 to get in, but children only had to pay 50 Boy, we're not. <laughs> That's a little scary. <laughs> of course, the purse was $800,000. <laughs> that must have been a good dream, Ivor. And there were grandstands around the entire track. The cars hadn't changed too much, except they had 37-inch-wide tires and 2,000 horsepower engines that were turning the track in 12 and a half seconds. Wow, and this was the part that obviously meant something to Larry, and he, I mean, he obviously hadn't read this program in a while, and he was just—it was given, you know, it, it, this, this meant a lot to him, and it here was again fifty years from 1974, so in 2024, Ivor says this dream he had: I heard a familiar voice hollering, "Programs, programs." Why, it was Pete Trinka still hawking the eagle and checking out the broads. (laughs) I can't do Pete's whistle or I would because that, uh, what do you say, shy? I mean, I will never forget that, man. I grabbed one and quickly glanced through it to see if I was still on the payroll. (laughs) And sure enough, my column was still there and so was the rest of the garbage. (laughs) Would you believe in this particular issue? They were featuring none other than Norm Macrath. That must have been the 75th write-up Norm has had in the program. How many good things can you say about a guy once a year, every year for 75 years? All I can see that's changed is the price. It's 10 bucks per copy. Well, I think that's what it was, wasn't it? The last couple of years they printed it? Are they even going to have a classic book this year, by the way? A big green van pulls up to the pit gate. Out of the driver's seat pops a short. Fat, bald, gent clothed in a t-shirt, dab gray slacks, and sneakers. For a moment, I thought it was George Keenan, owner of the 35, but then I remembered he never wore sneakers. The ghost spoke up. That, Ivor, is the current track champion. Matter of fact, he's the only track champion we've had in the past 50 years. It's Jimmy Champagne, and he's won so much money that he's completely given up on hot dogs. He had his own private restaurant constructed in the infield. And before each and every feature, he has steak, caviar, and chocolate milk. That's what I would do, but leave out the caviar. Oh, my gosh. This is a crack-up. I hope you'll be patient with me here because I want to read the rest of this. (laughs) Another car pulls up to the pits. It's a Ford station wagon. I'm reading this for the first time, by the way. It's a Ford station wagon towing a real sleek-looking super. In the passenger seats, it's a very thin, white-haired gent. Slightly bent forward with age and sporting a thin, long, white beard. <laughs> I thought for a moment it might be Ho Chi Minh. <laughs> and half of my audience is going, who? If you know, you know. But I was wrong again. The ghost said, you remember who drives the 10 pins, don't you? Well, that's him, Nolan Swift. Still going at 101 years old. I asked, does he still get with the program? Oh, yes, replied my host. But the bulk of the Swift Wright ingenuity the past 10 or 15 years has been spent to develop a motorized wheelchair for Billy Wright to exactly synchronize with the speed of Swift on the track so he can watch him all the way around the racetrack like he always used to. A bright yellow car and truck pulls up to the track and a young, smiling face gets out of the tow vehicle. I know who that is, I said. It's Eddie Ballinger Jr. The ghost said, Well,. Yes and no. It's Eddie Bellinger, all right, but it's Eddie the Fourth, Eddie Junior's grandson. I asked, "What happened to Eddie Junior and Eddie Senior?" Oh, Eddie Junior comes to the races now and then," replied the ghost. And Eddie Senior, well, after Eddie the Third started winning races some twenty years ago, everyone recognized that Eddie Senior must have some special strain in him for making great race car drivers. <laughs> so, so they turned him out to stud. <laughs> And he's produced some 152 good drivers for the Speedway over the past 20 years, and he's still producing. (laughs) Oh, my. Still. Oh, here we go. Still another car pulls up to the pit gate. It's an Orange 55. This ought to be good. I don't believe it. It's Kenny Andrews, and he's still got the same car he had 50 years ago. That's right, said the ghost. The only difference is he's added a few more pipes here and there, and here and there, and some over here and there. And well, the car weighs about 8,000 pounds, and some diligent person measured the lineal length of all the pipe, and I believe it comes out to 70 miles. <laughs> I, this is crazy just as we're about to go inside the track, the shiny 2024 Chamberlain Motors pace car pulls up with track manager Dick O'Brien at the wheel. The ghost whispers to me, Dick is considered the promoter's promoter now. He can't hear a damn thing. And just this past winter, he underwent a tongue transplant. <laughs> he wore the other one plumb out. We went inside and running up and down, yet was pit store Jerry Rich. But no straw hat. I asked him what happened to it. And Jerry said, I mouthed off once too many times to 93 car owner Keith Barker, and he stomped on it with me in it. (laughs) Although there were a lot of faces I recognized, there were some people that I missed. I asked the ghost of international classic future. Whatever happened to Mark Letcher? Oh, I can't even wait for this. The ghost replied, Well, about a year or so after Mark appeared in the centerfold of the Speedway yearbook, he was approached to do an X-rated movie. <laughs> he took the part in a new X-rated movie star was born. He and Shirley have since retired to a mansion on the Virgin Islands. And what about Joe Pino? I asked? The ghost said he met with the most bizarre circumstance a few years back. He won a feature race, and right after that, his head started to swell and swell and swell till he couldn't find a helmet big enough to fit him, and to this day, he's still looking for a helmet. Has Jack Conley been around lately, I asked? No, said the ghost, not in many years. He was here at an international in the late 1990s and was being interviewed on the PA system. And in Jack's inimitable way, he said, may lightning, <laughs> may lightning strike me if I'm not telling the truth, you can figure out what happened then. <laughs> I need a copy of this program so badly. Ivor continues, we scroll through the pits and I spot what I think to be Red the Goodyear Tire Man. He grew a thin, white, wispy mustache, curled up at the ends, and sported a full-length tuxedo with tails, top hat, and cane. I overheard him talking to one of the car owners. Tell you what I'm going to do, he said. I'm going to give you one of these Goodyear 1109 tires here in exchange for a mere fire. You'll never use a Firestone tire again as long as you live, so help you God. Out of the track, there's a spinning crash. Who is it? It's Gary Kelly in his number four. The announcer, who now keeps a spin crash chart, tells the fans it was Gary's 850-second spin and 376th crash since the turn of the century. Well, that's harsh, isn't it? <laughs> hey, ghost. I see the 07 and the 36, but no Johnny Spencer or Bob Stolder. What happened to them? Well, the ghost said, Doug Duncan fired Johnny Spencer. You know how relaxed Johnny was in a race car. Well, they got the car running almost perfect about 30 years back, and Johnny would take the lead and fall fast asleep. Bobby Stelter went on to become a great dirt track star after practicing his dirt track style on Macadam for about 25 years and burning up 4,722 tires on Ron Buckner. (laughs) A little further down pit row, we find the Hagen-Howard stable of cars. Six cars and six drivers in all, and the number one driver is still Baldy Baker. Just as popular as ever. And he doesn't depend on racing for money either. He owns a big toy factory. And his biggest item is the Baldy Baker doll. Complete with miniature hearing aid and Budweiser beer can. (laughs) The Salve Automotive Stable of Old Four Cars is parked right next door. They have six cars, two, but just one driver. And it's still Warren conium. He can still drive only one car at a time, and the rest of them are backups. And believe it or not, I hear tell there was one night last month he still couldn't run the feature. Just as the race was about to start, in comes Howard Purdy and the little deuce. I couldn't believe it. The car looked identical. It hadn't been touched in 50 years, and wouldn't you know it, they had second fast time of the weekend. Howard and his deuce have been back for. Every classic said, the ghost of the car is almost as immortal as I. And before he finished uttering those words, we were racing back in time. And the next thing I knew, I was back in my room. And all things considered, I'm glad it's still 1974. How cool is that? So there you have it. That was Ivor's 50-year dream. And how amazing is it that it ends with the little deuce now i promise you i did not i had never read that i mean i might have read it back in 1974 because that was my first classic i did not preview that before i just read it how appropriate is it that it ends with a little bit of a prop for the little deuce which is coming back this weekend to the track 50 years after you know 1973 anyway And so now they got to bring it back in 1974. And what's got to happen here is Bentley Warren's got to jump in it, go out and run second fast time. There you go. Got to happen next year. So there's a look back to 1973. I mean, what a a year. (laughs) What a season that was. And by the way, in case you're wondering, yes, Jimmy Winks won with a little deuce. In 1973, I have in my hand now, and I'm not going to read through this, but this is volume 18 of the Oswego Speedway Eagle. Denny Wheeler's on the cover, and Jimmy Winks brings in the little deuce. Do you know who was battling with Jimmy Winks for that win? Kenny Andrews. Kenny finished second. Incredible. Incredible. Okay, so there's our little look back to 1973. Now, we've got some current business to do here. And we're going to do it after a break. We've got What's in a Number. And we're going to play a little What's in a Number with 26 because this is episode 126. We're going to play What's in a Number and talk about the significance of the number 26 in Oswego Speedway and Supermodified History. And I'm going to do my best... Not to have yet another Jack Patrick moment like I had on the last show when I forgot poor Kenyon Zitska and <laughs> the Zitska 25. I just haven't been in front of the cars to, ret- to retain them enough lately. And that that's bitten me a couple times. We'll see if I can do better with 26. I know one I want to talk about, and we'll get to that right after this. Stay with us. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove Indy Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, supermodifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated, let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable high performance solution. They have all kinds of services From 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or IndiePerformanceCompositesInc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. It's time for What's in a Number? And on this show... We are talking about the number 26 and its relevance to Oswego Speedway and Supermodified history. It's classic week and now I got to focus and concentrate and try not to have a Jack Patrick moment. I hope there is not a current number 26 because if there is, I'll probably forget it. Uh, So we'll just start there. I will immediately open myself up to that. I want to go backwards though. Now, the number 26 when again for if it's your first time listening to this show i started going in 1973 which is the year that we've been discussing this entire show in our rewind here to classic 73 and i hope you enjoyed that that was a lot of fun i really didn't know how i was going to put it together i kind of just winged it uh which is why we had such a long kind of um rant there between uh commercial breaks i try to uh break it up a little bit better than that but um hope that you enjoyed it nonetheless just some great material one of the funniest pieces best pieces george caruso jr i mean either the driver ever read or ever wrote i think was that that dream column in 1974 look ahead to 50 years later 2024 which would be next year we now know that bentley warren is coming to the Speedway this weekend, and we'll get laps in the deuce. Oh, my gosh. Wow. How amazing is that going to be? Okay, back to the number 26. When I started going, I don't recall a 26 for a year or two. For some reason in my head, I have Russ Gray running his 26 um, in the car that would have been his Bye Bye 25. Now, I think maybe when Mike Cronin showed up with the old Spencer rear engine car, I think maybe he got the 25 first. He registered that number first. And so when Russ came to Oswego that year, maybe he had to change the number to 26. But for some reason, I remember Russ is 85. And then uh, Larry Trinka pointed out that he had the 25 number and i think he may have had to change it to 26 for uh for a season and then ironically enough <laughs> he he ended up as 27 right because he bought uh, the scott wilson car that uh, kept dates had built for scott he bought that for the what would it have been 77 season i guess um i think and then um unfortunately had the fatal crash with it in 78 i'm thinking but um so I don't know as Russ, if I'm right about that, that would mean that Russ ran his 25, 26 and 27. Would he be the only driver in a Speedway history to run a three number sequence over the course of his career? <laughs> Interesting stat, right? Okay. So, um, the, the, the 26 car that, um, that I talked about in the, In the 73 Classic, which I did not attend, therefore I did not see this run. That's why I sort of pulled that out. Um, Don McLaren, I don't know who owned the car, but um, nonetheless, uh, McLaren ran as 26 and 73, and I think Russ might have been the first one that that I would have seen in either 74 or 75 that would have been 26. And then in 1978... No. Yes, yeah, seventy-eight. Captain Dates sold his track championship-winning car to Lou Bannister. Lou was a farmer out of uh, Western New York, somewhere Buffalo area, Rochester area, somewhere in there. I think it was closer to Buffalo. Lou, and I think one of the things that Lou, um farmed i think it was cucumbers and i probably knowing how many cucumbers i ate as a kid and still do by the way um lou i probably kept lou in business my family probably kept lou in business or at least added to his bottom line <laughs> um so lou bought the car and i'm hoping at some point that maybe we can get lou on the show i don't know how to get to him but um if anybody has connection with lou banister love to get him on a show and talk to him because he had a fascinating career and um he bought the car from kemp and it was painted red white and blue and it was called the little american and lou did a good job with it Lou never won a feature, but boy, he had some really good runs. Now, unfortunately, probably the thing that most people remember Lou for was not necessarily a good thing. It was, I mean, you know, now that we we can look back and, and know that he was okay, we can kind of say it was probably spectacular to watch, but I've never been one that, that watches racing for the accident. So um, Lou had a, a terrific crash, horrible crash. Um in turns 1 and 2 i don't remember the circumstances but i'm i'm assuming he caught a wheel or something and s- spun around in the air and um and somehow got up high enough to actually take out the burger king billboard that was underneath the lap counter the old lap counter and um it was just it was a crazy crash um I can remember in my head, I have a, I have sort of like a still shot of him, you know, into the billboard, but I don't remember what the circumstances were, but it was, it was a pretty serious wreck. And, um, I think Kemp was one of the first guys to him after he got out of the car. Um, and that was probably what he's best known for, but his cars were beautiful. The 26 was always beautiful. Um, he repainted it a different color was kind of a darker like a maroon i think and then he sold that car to tom johnson who i think was on his crew tom was i think a younger he might have been like i don't know 18 or 20 or something i think he was a younger rookie that came in and um ironically enough kempton ended up back in that car maybe 1981 was it no no, I don't think it would have been that way. Maybe 79 or 80. Um, Kappa actually drove the car. And in the classic that year. Um, so Bannister was, and then Lou bought, he had a show car and it was, I love cars that are different, that are in design, but also in color. And because there's so much black and white out there now in the supers, especially, there's a lot of black cars, a lot of white cars, you know, and the, the, there isn't as much bodywork as there used to be. So it's harder to really come up with the, the sharp looking schemes that a lot of uh, the cars used to have. And when Lou bought the show car chassis show car from, um, I think the guy's name was Gus Alexa out of Ohio. He bought that car and painted it a gorgeous gray. I mean, that car was so pretty. And that was Lou's final car. And I think Mike Brubaker bought it. And that was one of Mike's cars that he had. And then I think it went to, um, I think it went to, I think I was trying to think if Alan Janet Bush owned the car or sponsored it, but I think Mike Rizzo. I know it was that if Mike drove it and only ran it a time or two. I think Mike just you know had gotten to the point where, um, he just didn't have it right. Like you lose your stuff, racers do that, um, and Mike he didn't go very fast like it was there was that point where it was like okay you know I I need to 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 stop and Mike Reuter took over the car it was a white 34 um and again I don't know if Rizzo bought it or Alan Janet I seem to remember that Alan Janet Bush were involved in that and then I think I want to say that that was um that became sort of the initial Alan Janet Bush team that um, became the six car that Reuter drove. And then Dave McKnight had such success with. And I think Terry Johnson was either before McKnight or maybe after McKnight. Um, And, but, but, but that all sort of started with Lou Bannister in the 26 car. Like I said, Lou had two cars. He had the old, he had the dates championship car for a couple of years. And then he bought uh, Gus Alexson's show car. And that was the beautiful gray 26. And, and then he retired. I think, I don't think he, I think that was the last car. Um, and then you have to go, I think a, a few years further. The next 26 I would remember was, um, the car was owned by, I think it was Al Aronik or Arondek. Um, and Jerry O'Neill was, I think, the initial driver. And and Al and Jerry, I think both, um, if 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 I remember this right, I think Jerry was initially a drag racer, maybe. And maybe Al was involved with them somehow, maybe motors or something. I don't remember exactly how that relationship was or got formed, but um I think Jerry was a drag racer and boy, they came to a Swiggo and I think Jerry had, he had, um, I want to say Jerry had a number 65 before he had the 26. I feel like somewhere in Jerry's a career, there was a 65 and I think it was first. And then, um, I think he also drove, um, After he and Ironic split, they were together for, for a few years had, had, um, they had a show car and I I think, uh, the last car that, yeah, they had a show car and then they ended up with a Graves car. So this would have been later eighties when, when Freddie and that whole group started mass producing them, ended up with a show car or a Graves car. And that was where Jerry had a success. Boy, Jerry could drive; he was fun to watch. Um, and him and ironic, I think they won to they won at least one feature. I think they might have won a few. Um, but but they really did a. They were a great pair. And um, I think Jamie Moore won a feature for ironic after Jerry left the car. And Jerry had. There was another car, maybe, was it was it 42 that Jerry drove? Another show car, I think, maybe. Somewhere in there, I seem to remember. And then at some point, Jerry moved down here to, to North Carolina, I think, and started working in NASCAR, if I remember right. And his son is racing down here now. I had him on my one of my other shows um, a few years back. His son was on one of one on our local radio show here, Lee Lap. And um, I think he's running the 65 is the number on his late model that he runs. He runs with a crate late model series. And so uh, like I said, Jamie drove that ironic twenty six, and I think he won a race with it. Um Bobby Stelter drove the car in a special race that was just for, um, I'm trying to remember cause I, I, um, there was a, there was a race that they created. And I can't remember what it was. Um, I thought it was th- called the champion of champions race, but Bobby never won a championship. So I don't know why he was in it, but Bobby, um, Bobby ended up driving it for this special race that they had. Ronnie Wallace drove Bill Sharkey's 52. um, And Bobby ended up finishing like seventh or eighth. He did a good job. He drove the car for a little, for a few weeks anyway, or a little while. And um, I also think I remember, and this is really random. And I, and again, I, I, I know this happened. I just don't know if it was in this car, but do any of you remember when Andy Graves took his first and I think only laps in the super at a swig. It was in a practice session and, um, he didn't look real comfortable. I remember, um, which I mean, I'm sure one wouldn't be first time out, but he did pretty good. And, um, I think that was the only time Andy ever got in a car, but um, so there were a few drivers that drove for Ironic, and then I don't remember the car got sold. I don't remember to whom, um, and I think that was the end of the. That was the end of 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 Ironic's uh, career as car owner, um, and then the the next twenty six, and obviously for many people the most probably the most prominent one for the, especially for the younger fans would have been when Paul Dunnigan started owning supers. And of course he had Bentley Warren and Bentley was, Bentley had, um, the 29 car. And then, um, they, they wanted to run two cars. So the, second car became the 26 and that was the one there were a number of drivers in that car and i'll never get them all because um i don't think because i mean that i'll try let's see how far we go here and, and there may be because there was a time after they left the and stopped running weekly where i kind of lost track they were running isma but Paul had so many different drivers. He had a number of different cars and car numbers that he used. So I got, I I'm going to take a shot here. I think Mike Ordway. Well, technically I think the first one to drive it might've been Randy Ritzkiss and Randy won when a Swiggo, the first Isma feature that a Swiggo ran. Gosh, what year would this have been? I, it was obviously somewhere in the nineties. Um, they had a match race. um, they had a special match race at Bentley, um, I think Billy Vukovich from the West Coast. Gosh, I don't remember everybody that was in it. Um, but it was just like four cars, I think. And then they they ran an Isma feature, and Randy Ritzkus ended up passing Bentley in traffic and winning the race. It was really an incredible race. Those two were that was one of the best. I And it may have been the most exciting winged race ever at Oswego in the modern era. Those two went at it tooth and nail. And Randy just drove the race of his life in that car. And then, you know, Mike Ordway drove it for, for a bit. And then Ritzkis got in it. And I think, was he in the 26th? Yeah, I think he was when he led... 197 laps of uh, one of the classics that Furlong ended up winning. Greg passed him in traffic. Randy just used up the car. There have been two other folks since the classic uh, since Jimmy Champlain led all 200 laps. There have been some other folks that have been close. The problem is it's hard to lead all 200 laps without using up your race car. Ritzkis came the closest. And Um, who was the other one? Joey Payne in the ninety nine. Joey was driving for uh, Ray Graham, and Joey took off, and and I I was I remember sitting in the grandstand thinking, there's no way he's gonna he's gonna it's not gonna he's he's just way too hard on the, and he got to traffic and couldn't pass anybody. He just stopped. It stopped his progress cold, and then he ended up having problems with the car. But it's You know, it's so hard now to do something like that. Tyler Thompson in 20, what was it, 19? I think that was the last classic I was at. 2019, when Tyler won, Tyler um, had a car that probably could have led all 200 laps. If he'd started on the pole, he might have done it. And it was just one of those sort of freak things. He had a brilliant race car that day. It was like all the stars aligned. And nobody else could, could stay with him. They just, they had it, they had it. That was one of those once in a lifetime, perfect cars. Now Tyler tried to do it again a couple of years ago and ran out of fuel. So see, that's what I'm saying. Like this, it, it depends on, you know, he had Tyler had just enough caution laps when he did it. You know, you, you, there's so many little things that have to line up, but, um, Ritzkis ritz put on a heck of a drive and i think that was in the 26 car the are 26 um davy hamilton ran it in a classic or two did a nice job with it as he always did anything he ever drove um who else was in it i think now this is where i start getting because again you you know you had drivers in and out Of which car or whatever. I think Russ Wood was the one that took over for Bentley in the 29. And I think pretty much he stayed in that car a while. I think Joe Gozik drove the 26. And I think Pat Abel. I think that was the car that Pat ran for Dunningham. If I'm correct. And then there was this. It was 25. It was 17. It was seven. It was (laughs) that Bentley ended up driving later on again. And probably some others. Um, they ran a different, it seemed like they had several different numbers. But um, so there were some heavy hitters that drove for Dunning and some of the best to ever sit in a race car in that 26 car. Um, I mean, you just look at Ordway, Ritzkiss Hamilton, Gozik, and Abel. And I think I'm right about those five. Those are five of the best open wheel short track racers ever and they all drove that car. And I'm struggling to go beyond that. I again, I know I'm going to get burned somehow by this, but I um I'm struggling to go beyond the Dunning 26 to find another 26. Now in the 350 class, we have Josh Sokolik of course running 26, right? But um I don't think there's a big block one. So we'll leave it there and you, the rest of you <laughs> can remind me of all the ones I missed because that's kind of the point after all. Um, and breaking news, by the way, I don't know, I guess I'll call it breaking news. I just had it confirmed. Um, but, uh, and it may have, may be out on social by now. I've been on too much today, but, um, uh, if you're, if you're still wondering about, uh, Dave Shulick Jr., he will be in the car. Dave Shillick will be driving the car. Uh, This weekend for the classic, which is great news. So shoe two will be behind the wheel of the 95, according to um, Camden proud. uh, He is going to be there and be in action, which is awesome. So there you go. There's that. Um, And I guess I will go ahead and um, end the show right there and let you know that uh, we are going to have a ton of coverage coming all weekend long. Um, as far as classic coverage goes, so stay tuned to the uh, Inside Groove Facebook page, and also you're going to want to follow Steering Wheel Nation as well, which is uh, you can just type in Steering Wheel Nation on Facebook, and you can follow that. Uh, and on if you're on uh, Twitter, it 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 is at the Wheel Nation or X, whatever they're calling Twitter these days, Um, at The Will Nation. Go follow that. And on Instagram, at The Will Nation. We'll have content all weekend long about the classic and everything that's going on at the track. And um, also, we are testing, test driving, basically, a new piece of technology that I have for Steering Wheel Nation. And um, it is what's called a hub. And this is something that is sort of the culmination of three years of hard work. And um, I am super excited about this. So if you see the content on social media... And if, if it asks you, do you want to register, go ahead and do that. Um, just real quickly, it, I will tell you that this is basically a very secure, very private um, app, so to speak. But you don't need to go to the, you don't get it from the app store. You don't need to download anything. Just interact with the content. It'll ask if you want to register. Go ahead and register. It's free. We do have one subscriber community on it um, that we're building for those who subscribe to the magazine. Um, they're going to get a whole bunch of things. This is uh, something that was supposed to be. We were, I wanted to have this last year, and I don't want to take a bunch of time here today. But what, suffice it to say that um, this is a different piece of uh, technology than what we were going to use for this purpose. But it's awesome. It, I, I just found out about it about uh, six weeks ago and um, worked with the folks uh, from the app. It's called an iHub app, and this thing is sweet. So anyways, registration is free. So if if, if it asks you if you want to register, just do it. You'll get to pick from a whole bunch of, um, they call them channels, but let's just say communities, and they're broken down by type of racing. So there's a super modified one, an NASCAR one, an F1, uh, an IndyCar. car. We got a bunch of them on there that we're starting with. We're going to add more as, as we go. Um, and you can belong to these and you can interact with them. You can comment on the content. You can like the content. You can, um, so it is really cool and it's free, um, so you, and and you only, the, the beautiful part of this is that you get to choose. They'll give you a bunch of, they'll show you all the public channels, communities. You just check the ones you want, con, want to receive in your feed, and that's it. You'll only get that stuff. Now, there'll be some other stuff I put on the homepage that you'll see, but um, this is, and I'll tell you more about it later on the next show, but this is... What to me every social media ought to be. This is going to wind up being a motorsports, cars, music. Um, we're gonna have some fun with this, but it's basically all designed around the demographic that loves racing and you know loves action, adventure, cars, all that. So, um, but it's it's user defined. So basically, um, your feed is very personalized. And it will give you a newsletter, either daily or weekly, depending on which option you choose, with only the content from the the channels that you want, that you selected. And it will only give it to you, will only give you the content that you haven't interacted with yet. So in other words, here's how this works. So let's say that, you know, Larry Trinka gets on and says, well, I want... um formula one IndyCar, and super modified content he checks those three boxes so now um uh, you know somebody from my my group will approve him to join those channels okay so he will be now in those communities now again this is brand spanking new it's not even we haven't even officially launched it yet but we're going to test it at the classic um so i guess i just gave away the next breaking news story which is i'm actually going to be coming up for classic which i'm super excited about um and just almost overwhelmed honestly i haven't been home in a year and a half so this is um this is awesome but anyways um <laughs> so larry picks those three communities his feed is only going to show him content that we feed into those channels and then he'll see whatever we have on the home page but um, it's a very personalized feed. His newsletter will be specifically, <coughs> excuse me, content that he has not yet interacted with from those channels. So if, if you know, if he was off off there for a couple of days and didn't pay much attention to what was going on, then he'll get the newsletter at the end of the week and it'll be all the content from all the channels he picked that he has not seen or interacted with yet. If you interact with all the content before your newsletter comes out, you do not get a newsletter. It's amazing. Easiest experience I've ever had. Um, it's everything a social media ought to be. It's not a past. It's just fun. And we're going to do some giveaways. We're going to do all kinds of stuff with this once we can kind of get everything going. And we're, it's about 90% done. So this, this week, we're test driving it at the Classic. I'm going to do the majority of my content through that, right through the front end of that, and then share it out. Um, so when you, when you interact with it, if it asks you to register, please do, because the goal of this is to make sure that nobody who wants my super modified content ever misses it. And I can't guarantee that on Facebook. And this is where we're going to put everything going forward, is on this, on our web. And it's going to be our website, basically. We're replacing the WordPress site that we have with this, um, because it's a community. And so, um, you know, whatever communities, whatever channels you pick to join, whatever content you want, you select it when you register, and then um, that's all you get. And you can, you know, if you can go, if you want to go back and say, well, I guess I want this or that later, you can do that too. But um, it's very personalized. So um, it's going to be a bunch of fun. And uh, we still are going to work with the Magic platform as well. But this one is way further along in terms of what I think a community app ought to be than that one is. There's a lot of things Magic has this will never have, but that's Okay. We can use those features, and and we'll we'll we've, we'll have things going on over there too. But um, this is something that is just amazing to me. So if you see in the content that we do from Classic, if it asks you to register, don't be shy. It's extremely secure. We're not going to spam you. Um, you know, we're just we're this is our hub. This is where we're all going to gather we're going to be able to um going forward when there's races we can you know uh we can watch them together and chat we can do things during the races we can you know um like i said we'll we'll, we'll do some giveaways we're going to really have some fun with this this is what i've been wanting to do for three years i just haven't had the right tool i tried to build it several times and nobody could build it the way i wanted it well (laughs) these folks did um so, and it's, um, this is this same technology has been used by, um, some governments and countries. And so it's only been on the, uh, open market to consumers for, um, I think about two months and, uh, they've already built a thousand of these communities. So these, these hubs, so, um, they're growing quickly. So this is, this is a blessing. So, uh, just letting you know about that. So, Feel free to register. We'd love to have you. Um, as we, you know, get into the uh, fall, we'll start um, with, there's a, there's also a community for podcasts and shows. Please click that. Cause that's where our show is going to be, where all the shows will be. Um, and this will allow me to do more content because I won't have to share it to six or seven different places. I'll just be able to, you know, to do it. I can, I can create it right inside the platform and put and, and hit publish. That's it, and then we'll we'll still share some of it to the socials, but not all of it. I don't have time for that; it's it just takes too long, and I don't get the reach I should because um, the 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 social throttles it down. That's what all these social apps do now. So um, make sure that you you register, and uh, I'm also going to put the QR code out there at some point here uh so that you can you can just uh take the photo um photo uh app on your phone and just scan it and it'll it'll just start the process for you but um there's no you don't need to go to any app store or whatever it's a beautiful it's called a progressive web app and it's it's amazing technology and so easy to use that i can use it that's how easy it is so um look for that uh, content coming along starting on friday so excited about it and um thank you all for um listening as always thanks to our sponsors oh by the way um i want to thank uh both jns paving rich worth and also john nicotra because both of them are going to be sponsoring the classic content that we're doing so um thanks to those guys for um jumping on board and being so excited about uh about what we're going to do this weekend so hope we can um Make them all happy. Make everybody happy. And uh, hope we all have some fun and it's a safe weekend. So um, we'll see you from the track on Friday. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. So on,
1: You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com.